General Vagon has called the Battle of France is over. The Battle of Britain is about to begin. Welcome to the Lead Pursuit Podcast, a podcast covering blood red skies, a game of World War II aerial combat. Welcome to episode 18 of the Lead Pursuit Podcast. Yeah, I'm sorry. Again tonight, you have to deal with all three of us. We've got Doug, Brett, and Chris all on. We're going to talk a little bit about what's new, some things that we've seen that have dropped in the last couple of days. We're going to talk a little bit about our projects. And then we're going to talk about kind of our new project for Lead Pursuit Podcast. Hey, guys, how y'all doing tonight? Doing great, great. man. Good awesome. to be back with you finally. Yeah, well, it's good to have you back. Well, not really. I really enjoyed not having you around. It was wonderful. <laughs> the bad new one to kick and make fun of. Brett was kind of mean to me. So <laughs> let's talk a little bit about our Intel update. I really don't need any more airplanes, but apparently a bunch of you out there in the interwebs do. So, Brett, I know we had seen some information drop that P-40s are coming. P-40s with Tex Hill as the ace. Uh, what else have we seen? P-47s, uh, 109, which variant? The G model. Yeah, G model. So 109G is coming out and 262s. What do you think about that? All resin. I, and we, we heard some hints that some planes were coming. It's nice to see. I think a lot, a lot of people are going to be geeked out about that 262 because I, I, my initial impression was that wasn't going to be this year, that that might be later. Yeah, I thought that was going to be next year, but the latest word is sometime in December, maybe right before the end of the year, right before the holidays. Those are going to drop. And Chris, you think they're all going to be resin? So I, I do, um, you know, I got to, like I said, you guys are here, you know, I met up with John Russell at MGT, but he was basically saying that, you know, they think, and he believes they're resin from here on out. Um, it looks like Warlord's completely committing to resin, all the Judge Dredd stuff, with the exception, I think, the special edition miniature that's coming out for Judge Dredd is all in resin. So with the investment they're making in it, there's really no other reason to do lead casting anymore. Well, the real question is, do we think they are metal casts they've made a cast of and turned into resin that they already had kind of in the hopper or do we think they've started from resin from scratch yeah and we're probably really not going to know until we see some really really good photographs i can tell you personally um i i, I because of john russell thank you very much um he was able to get me some very early sets of the yak 16s the polycarpa i 16s and I'm mean, not Yak 16s, Yak 1Bs, and the MiG 3s that just came out in all three of their corresponding aces in the Warlord resin. And I've got them at the house. I've been working with them for about five days. And they're amazing, amazing planes. But the one thing I can tell you is they are straight from the lead sculpts. So um, not a lot of deep uh, panel lines that we're used to seeing on some of the plastic kits. So that that's going to be one thing to get used to. But uh, honestly, you can't really expect them to re-sculpt everything. So, um, no, and, they, and the yeah, real exactly. question is, is where it's going to cut in, you know, because yeah. I think from what uh, you said, what Ken said, and a couple other people who'd seen the resin, that uh, sure, it wasn't the deepest panel lines, but no. first of all, it's resin. So so we're just happy to be away from working with metal um, and that, that there's going to be an iterative process. So we're going to go yes. for a while. We're going to we're going to get some that are initially designed off of metal. Some are going to be designed for resin. And I think we'll see the uh, the detail levels jump up because, you know, looking at the Judge Dredd models, at least for some of those, it looked like like the judges and some of those were designed for resin from the beginning. 
Exactly. And like I said, I got the recast. I got to actually hold those models at MGT because he had the the early pre-press release sets and the detail on those things were amazing. So yeah, when the Warlord I, team is sculpting for resin, it's going to look good. Yeah. So I'm pretty excited. I think we're actually going to see a step up. Yeah, I think well, I think in the long run we're going to see a step up. I'm in no rush to to buy uh, P47s, although I'll never turn down a box of jugs. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things, the P40, I'll definitely pick up a bunch of those uh, yeah. and, and get those painted up. Of course, you already have some, don't you, from AIM? So I do. I do. <laughs> Excellent. Yep. All hey, Chris, right. let me ask you, on those um, those new resin models you have that are made from what we presume to be metal molds, how are the flat surfaces? Are they pretty smooth? So they're really smooth. I mean, the resin has no tackiness to it whatsoever. It is it's really good solid resin. Now it doesn't have the same rigidity that the AIM models have, but it keeps the same amount of detail. Um, I was kind of concerned when I first put them in a bath, like I, I did the I-16s yesterday. I spent the whole morning cleaning them up, getting the flash off of them. Uh, there was some minor, minor, very minor mold slips right around the, the noses of the I-16s that I had to fix. Um, and nothing outside what you normally find in, in most resin casting, way better than Forge World. Um, so that cleaned up rather easy. But I was kind of concerned at first because it, it feels a little bit soft about washing them and scrubbing them pretty good. But I gave them the same treatment. I was like, hey, you know, this is a first time try. Let's just go ahead and treat them like we treat every resin model. Gave them a good scrub lost no detail in the process they scrubbed up perfect and they're ready for priming which i'm going to try to prime them tomorrow but with school i, I don't know if i'm going to get to it i find sometimes i'm working with some metal models now and some of the flat surfaces aren't perfect you know not really smooth and although that can be fixable with you know sanding and stuff it's certainly going to be easier to fix that on a resin model i'm just curious you know what no, like I said, other than a couple minor mold slips, I haven't seen any texture whatsoever anywhere on the airplanes. Oh, nice. The, That's an improvement scene, by itself. Oh, it, it big time is. Just take AIM, honestly, take the AIM models, give them a little bit more flex, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, I was worried that the little bit more flex that I found when I held the Judge Red models, you know, how is this going to translate to an airplane? But all of the air aircraft wings I got, the wing roots were strong enough and the sculpts in metal were strong enough when transferred to resin that all of my wings were straight. I did zero straightening on any of the three sets of aircraft I got. So when you say flexible. Yeah. You know, I think of those um, starter, uh, the box set models. Is that what you mean? They're kind of flexible like that. Uh, in a, yes. Uh, but not in the same way that those things take warps. These didn't have any warps at them, but the, if you felt, if you dropped them, there was, there's no way they wouldn't just bounce and be fine. Um, there's, it's just a little bit softer. Um, and like I said, I was worried, like when I looked at the Judge Red miniatures, I was like, okay, how is this going to work with like firearms, like shotguns? And all of the shotguns on them were straight. And of course, somebody could have straightened those before I saw the unpainted miniatures. But looking at the aircraft now, I don't see any of that. I didn't see any tail warpage. I didn't see any wing root warpage like you found on the, the first batch of, um, especially with the Spitfires we were getting out of the plastic kits. No, much better, much more high quality models. Well, even the AIM F-86s had some tail warpage. And, you know, so that's just, that's always going to be one of those parts of the resin process that as long yeah. as you know how to work with resin, it's, if it happens, then you can deal with it. And hopefully. It oh, yeah, absolutely. Happens, you know, so it's, that should be pretty good. I think the real uh, question is going to be, as we make the shift from metal, it's really showing how a lot of the 
the lack of detail in some of the metal was a materials and processes piece and not necessarily a problem in the mold that the original sculpts were pretty darn good and just the 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 texture and some of the the loss of detail that we had uh was just due to it being metal oh yeah the first thing that that i noticed was just having the resin models because all of the johnny red planes that i got it was going to be require, and I haven't even painted those. To be honest, I wanted the cards out of it. Those have been sitting because I knew the resins were coming. And because as soon as I put them on a flight stand and realized they didn't even fit firmly to the flight stand, I was kind of like, eh, I'm just not wasting my time with those right now. I got plenty of A models to work on. But now that I've got the Warlord models in resin, all three of these squadrons are going to get done, and they're going to get done. They're, they're at the front of the queue. Well, well, let's jump out of order here. And let's, uh, it, rather than, you know, talking about the FAQ, which we'll get to, guys, so don't worry about it, but let's talk about models that don't fit the flight stands very well, because there's a couple solutions out there. Now, Brett, I know you'd seen uh, a uh, rotation magnet from Green Stuff World. Can you kind of give us the uh, the brief on that? Yeah, so it's, it looks like a new product from Green Stuff World that is... Um specifically for uh games with flying stands uh, i don't you know like, like uh maybe the star wars game but uh, certainly just as applicable to what we do but it's a uh, a magnet and a ball bearing that attaches to the flight stand and, and the aircraft so that you can uh tilt your aircraft for different advantage level without road you know without moving the flight stand forward or back so your heavier models are going to are going to uh, be able to you know change position without falling over as easily so it's pretty handy yeah, you know it's, really it's something like we that. use I, yeah and i didn't uh, manage to catch the cost anywhere in there uh, i don't know if either of you had gone out to see uh roughly what the cost was but it can't be that expensive you know i wouldn't think so and and i'm thinking i'm working on some metal stukas now i may uh just get a, a batch of those just for for these guys to test them out and see how they work but i imagine they would work great and and probably the biggest benefit is just one-stop shop you know we, we've got some other ways you, you've you've done essentially the same approach for uh doing the same thing on some of your metal models uh but it might be nice just to go to one place get a you know yeah because because mine's kind of a a two-stop shopping because uh one of the first things I did when I bought some of the AIM models and before I even picked up Metal Warlord models was I converted about 12 stands with their little adapter, which really is kind of the collar in this rotation magnet uh, kind of piece. So that's that's the piece that uh, that you get from AIM and you get like 50 cents, a, a, you know, per every one of those that you buy from them. Um, and then I just took ball bearings and I drilled out with the appropriate size drill bit, uh, kind of a hemispherical hole in the bottom, either either drilling out the the mount that was already there uh, or in the case of the aim models actually you can take that screw and rather than loosening it you can tighten it and you can actually shear off that resin tube and so now you have kind of an indentation you can drill into and it makes a perfect spot to uh, to super glue that ball bearing in there uh, where it's just semi-flush still has half of the hemisphere there and then it drops right on the uh, on that collar shaped magnet and allows you to rotate it forward, back, up, down. You can turn it sideways if you wanted to show uh, aircraft banking for whatever reason. Um, but I liked playing with those instead of the regular stands. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking right now at the Green Stuff World ones, and you're talking uh, 15 magnets with 15 bearings, the size medium, which looks about what we'd be using a lot of, $7. Yeah, yeah. So it's still it's so, around $0.50. Cents. So it's yeah. that's nice. That's 
that's perfect. Um, then you don't have to go out and go uh, steal all the ball bearings that you were going to dump into your paint bottles. Uh, <laughs> of course, I have plenty of those extra still laying around because I don't have as much paint as Chris. I apparently can discipline myself and not buy every <laughs> paint that comes out. Although I, I haven't bought any paint trusting. in like two weeks, man. Back well, that's off. why I think Brett's doing doing your job, and he's apparently keeping AK Interactive. I think uh, Brett, you picked up uh, one of the uh, sets from them. Oh, I did. Yeah, uh, I just started using it too. It, I like it. Yeah. I, and I'm going to try, so I have another brand out there on the horizon that I want to try too for another, for a, a build prog, um, a project I have in queue that I'm going to, I have colors I wanted for. And, and I found, stumbled across another brand that I want to try out. Mostly it's a hunt for the color, but then I see, oh, wait, they have this. Let me, let me get it from this brand. Like, uh, well, this I, I don't thing. know which of your problems is worse, model acquisition or paint acquisition. You guys uh, are just, you're killing me. <laughs> I'm not as bad as Chris on the paint yet, I don't think. That, that is true. Well, you don't have to fill out two different studios. You know, you only have one studio. <laughs> Chris doesn't walk from upstairs to downstairs like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do without, without, you know, RAF Brown. I'd have to buy two of them. Yeah. So, so I, I hear you doing doing a lot of criticism for a guy that walked away with a whole box of badger paint and army painter paint. Yeah, I did. Thank because you. Because I don't like them. So yeah, um, you fed so, my need for, uh, for badger. So, so where's the love? I use those. Well, I should say I would use those when I'm painting my war. When I'm painting my in ages, but that's fine. No, I was I was laughing the other day because I asked John Russell. I says, "So you know those those freaking Corsairs you've got? You know when we were at MGT. I says, I really love this blue on them. How did you get that?" And he goes, "Oh, that's the Badger blue." And I was like, "Son of a bitch!" Yeah. One of the yeah. I came to talk. Small <laughs> <laughs> victories. Uh, well, no, I I actually rather than buying two of everything, although I I did buy a couple new. Uh, new paint kits uh for uh for over at the farm uh, i've just I have two paint carrying cases that i just carry my paints back and forth just because i i don't need more paint i'm not going to use so let's let's minimize the amount of paint going bad over time my first uh foray into getting extra paints if you will was just after you know wanting something i could um brush paint with a little better than that than the uh, Vallejo uh, model air stuff I was using. I love the model air colors and they, to me seem, I said this before, I think they seem accurate. At least they look like what I kind of expect. Some of those colors look just from like the random photos and stuff I've seen in the past. Uh, but brush painting with those particular paints was kind of a hassle. They're great for airbrushing, right? But not all the stuff I'm doing is airbrushing. So well, that's how it started. Who, we can tell who the Smurf ultramarine player is, who <laughs> goes on in one coat. I'm an Imperial Fist guy. I paint yellow. I'm used to like six coats to even cover up whatever the primer is if it's not the uh, same color. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I exactly feel your pain. That's why I'm looking at AK Interact. Um, yes, because you're like one to... of the few people on the planet trying to brush paint yellow. <laughs> <laughs> you're a jerk. I don't like <laughs> Never like Chris anyway. Enjoy it there's when you there's, there's this really modern thing. I think they were invented in like the 1920s. They're called airbrushes, buddy. <laughs> I'm not laughing. It's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if I had a good friend who was good with airbrushes, it actually taught me how to use it. Instead of just painting a model in front of me and assuming I figured it, you know. Thanks, man. That's a great dreadnought. Appreciate it. He looks great. Still have no idea how you did it. <laughs> <laughs> you get right. signed up for paint class. Yeah, yeah, well, that would require me to actually have free time. So that's, that's the other thing. It's not going to happen. No, not going to happen at all. All right, well, good. So we talked about the magnets, talked about ways of mounting those aircraft. 
you know, once again, it's up to your personal preference, but I love not having to flip the stand forward or backward and worry about is my model too heavy? Is it going to tip over? And then I really don't like using those big, huge three inch uh, base extensions anyway. So I think the Green Stuff World um, magnets are worth it. Invest in them, convert a bunch of stands. Uh, and then at the end of the day, you need to buy extra ball bearings. So it should be pretty easy. How many times have we knock your planes over or knock them, you know, from advantage to disadvantage with our rulers and well, so that was the funny thing. The, the ruler we didn't we didn't do the worst with. It was the stupid metal tip to our our tapes. And, and as soon as our metal tips found the magnets, that's what kept flipping it over. So there is an occupational hazard to doing this, and that's you better go out and find the uh, the right kind of uh, acrylic or otherwise uh, you know movement marker. A movement template so that you're not you're not magnetizing yourself and moving all your fighters around it did happen a lot that was it got to be kind <laughs> of a pain funny. yeah it got to be kind of frustrating but it was funny for the first 30 times i got this vision in my head of this tape going across the table doing measurement like eight planes going thunk. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. or what you'd be like you're like i think i can move right in close and it suck the model back an inch and you're like really come on dudes yeah yeah so occupational hazard hey that's why i bought everybody these great templates from just laser that we talked about last week that i still haven't mailed out because i'm a jerk so i'll get to that this week <laughs> all that's right, all right. So i gotta get stuff in the mail for you two guys too because i've got all these extra cards now that are definitely coming your way nice nice all right well Go let's ahead. talk a little bit about resin because chris you've had your hands on it you've worked yep. with it a bit Really give us your detailed analysis after having worked with uh, the resin Russian fighters. As as Brett would say, I got it in my hands and I played with it a little. Got to touch it, feel it. I mean, I touched it, I feel it. I got personal with it. Yeah, yeah. I've been in all the right places. You've handled not not anything else. But no, that like I said, all three of the planes that I've that I've I've worked with are great. Um, do I like them better than aim? Um, I'd say that the verdict's out and that's only because, you know, that they were, they were sculpts that weren't originally, you know, intended for resin. I honestly believe that when the sculptors at Warlord get, get fired up and doing stuff for resin, I'm going to like the Warlord stuff better. And that's not dinging Dave Schmidt at all. It's just the panel recess on a lot of his models it leaves a little bit to be desired too. So they're, yeah, they're well, older scopes. They were done a lot longer ago. Absolutely. And, and a lot of know, them haven't been updated. And so, you know, he's incrementally yeah. updated some. Yeah. Uh, but let's so, be honest, at least he has the wider variety. You know, the, Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. You, they just aren't going to get done. And Oh, absolutely. And so it's, to me, it's, it's going to obviously chip away at things like the P40, P47, things that are already kind of in, actually, I don't even think he has a P47. Uh, things that are already in his group of aircraft. Um, yep. But the fact is, Warlord's not going to do a resin B-29 anytime soon. So <laughs> they're not going to do they're not going to do a roofie or a freaking PBY Catalina, which are things we're going to want down the road when we're we're doing weird little missions. And, yeah, absolutely. you know, Dave's going to be that guy that you can go out and go, OK, yeah, I can go. I can go get myself a float plane or I can go get myself some weird freaking bomber cargo cargo transport or a condor for crying out loud like like they'll ever do a condor but i mean and you know brett's itching to do a condor just because it'll be cool but um right. but you know it, that's i think that's where dave and warlord are going to find this this happy place because dave was trucking long before blood red skies came along if anything this has been a boon for him so it's it's i think i think the landscape is gonna it's gonna shore up pretty good between well, there's plenty two. of other 
World War II and modern. Oh, you had Trumper out there too. Yeah, you had Trumper out there too, making models that are great. Well, and and the point is, you know, Dave's got so many other lines that he supports. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. half the stuff on his one two hundred website is modern stuff. That while it's cool stuff that I'd look at, some other people might you know want to play with a variety of rules. It's just not supported right now. So Yeah. yeah, that's fine. Yep. Well, so you've been playing with the resin. Uh, Brett, you've been playing with metal. Tell us about your drama. Oh, yeah. Well, I was wanting to do some uh, JU87s for our Malta campaign, and I was kind of going back and forth whether to get some from AIM or get the ones from Warlord. And I thought, you know what? Let me just get the ones from Warlord because um, I haven't done any metal models in a while. And kind of what tipped me over the the uh, the edge on that decision was I saw some thread or something, I think, on Ready Room some people asking questions about doing metal models. I thought, you know what, let me do some metal models. So that if the question comes up, I can at least say, you know, I've got some experience. This is what you should do and not do. And you know, that kind of thing. So I did it and uh, I'm not, I'm painting them now. They're assembled and all that and primed. I'm doing base coats right now. So in a week or two, I'll probably have them all finished, but uh, yeah, I'm doing a uh, fourth stoffel of STG two out of, uh, they were uh, flying out of uh, Sicily and they're going to look pretty cool, I think. And it wasn't terrible. Uh, it's, I'd say they're not B, uh, the BF-110's uh, hard plastic sculpts. You know, they're not that crisp. But they're not terrible. Uh, they, I, that's why I was asking questions about the flat surfaces, you know, for the, the resin that came from those metal molds. Because the first thing I noticed, even beyond the, the, the details, are, as far as like not super deep, panel lines was that just the general generally the flat surfaces are a little bumpy and kind of have some rough texture to them and i guess that's just a a metal thing but uh, a lot of that was you know fairly easy to clean up i guess much the same way you would clean up a resin model with a little bit of sanding and stuff to get them more smooth but they're you know they're not perfect i'm probably i'm gonna have to be i think a little careful when i get to the panel washing phase maybe the flurry wash won't take to that too great because you know that's a bit of a rough texture i find it it's not the perfect solution for that, but uh, they're painting up fine. The hardest part was gluing those the wheels, the the landing gear onto the yeah. How did you end up solving that one? Well, I I I scored both ends that get glued together with a sharp hobby knife, made kind of like a crisscross pattern, very carefully. Um, it's a really small area, it's too small in my opinion to really drill and pin which is kind of what I expected to do, but it's, I, I don't at least have a, a bit that's small enough to make that happen. So um, yeah, that's what I did. I, I kind of made like a wa- like a crisscross pattern with a sharp knife and it's, you know, because the metal is so soft, you can't press down. You have to basically pull the blade along the surface to get that cut or you run the risk of really damaging the, um, you know, cutting into the, I mean, cutting off a big, you know, shaving off a big portion of the landing gear. It's that small. So made yeah. a crisscross pattern on both uh, both gluing surfaces, and then used some uh, super glue uh, gel, and that seemed to do the trick. They, you know, I, I wouldn't grab it by the landing gear, but I think just generally handling it and stuff, it's going to be fine. I mean, just as I've been painting them and stuff, I haven't had any problems where anything is busted off. I think I also it in the after gluing them, where there are obvious seams, I did some. Um, liquid green stuff in the in those cracks and then you know carefully 
sanded everything down to get it nice and smooth and look like a single piece again. And then just primed yeah. over it. So far, so good. Well, nice. Glad that's going to work out because this is what the second painting of those models. Yeah, the first. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't real. I used a rattle can to prime. It's the second time I've done that, and I had similarly crappy results i guess it just seemed to me to be that was i wouldn't call it fuzzy if anybody's used you know some rattle can stuff to do priming or base coating and sometimes you get that fuzzy effect it wasn't quite that bad but to me it just seemed to have more texture than i wanted so instead of painting over that and just ignoring it i said no i'm not gonna be happy with it let me just put these in the stripper bucket and start over so no big deal I didn't get too far along before I did that, but yeah, I did, I did strip them. And in the process somehow, I don't know how it happened, but when I stripped them, I, uh, of course the, the, uh, landing gear came, came unglued in that process. Uh, and I lost a set of landing gear for, so I've got, instead of having six too, cause I have five, cause I've got one of the net, it's missing one, one of the, one part of the landing gear. So I'm going to probably have to order one from aim just to make up for that missing aircraft. Yeah, that'll be a crashed airplane marker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got one that would fly in circles at this point if I did what parts I have. Yeah, that, that would be a little bit of drag on one side of the airplane. Well, that's enough talking about modeling, because quite frankly, I don't care. Let's talk about <laughs> rules. <laughs> so uh, the 17th of October, the FAQ drop. Not a lot of changes, but... A pretty important clarification, especially uh, before we start talking about some of the cards that are coming out, some of the uh, the multi missions coming up. It was a brief clarification about stat zero lines for aircraft, such as firepower zero or agility zero. Now, there's a difference there between a zero and a dash. A dash means it doesn't, it just doesn't have a value for it. It can't do that. It can't shoot. It can't. Uh, it can't dodge. A zero means it just doesn't add anything to the pilot skill. So if you look at the FAQ, uh, and I'll beat up on Andy for writing this, it's not in the aircraft trait section, as he says. It's in the aircraft data section. Uh, thanks, Andy, for confusing me as I'm trying to scroll back and forth through this thing. But uh, it talks about if you have a zero firepower, you're still going to add your pilot skill. So you still would roll with pilot skill three. You'd still roll three dice uh, if you shot at somebody. Now, where it gets a little weird is is agility so if you think about it for a normal fighter if it's agility zero you just roll your pilot skill but remember for multi-engine aircraft if they're not agile then if you don't have the ability to add that pilot skill you're going to automatically fail the check so uh that that nose or tail dodge you'd automatically fail if it's a deflection shot you still get to add the substitute or put your speed in there uh so you still get those dice so kind of like what we saw with the b29s and i know that's been a question uh, for some people, as they've seen cards with a zero agility. Now, if you had a dash for agility, I, I, dude, I guess it means you just don't dodge. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You're going to get shot. Uh, you will see some dashes for firepower. Now, where those come in is sometimes there are aircraft with really weak forward-firing weapons. Uh, if you think about some of the bombers, specifically some of the third-country aircraft like the Italians, where you have a, a single 7-millimeter machine gun sticking out of the, the right side of the of the pilot's part of the cockpit. Yeah. Sure. He 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 can steer and guide that that aircraft to shoot that gun, but it's it's really his skill alone. There's not any damage that, that thing's gonna do. And it's yeah, like, and it can't, wasn't wasn't the SBD that had like one thirty caliber machine gun. Right. So well if you yeah. look at the Italians, the SM seventy nine 
got yeah. uh, in the original version has a single. And actually, the, the SM-79 is a great example because in its original version, it has a single Ford-mounted machine gun that the pilot, in a sense, would control. Uh, when you go to the SM-79-3, uh, that goes away. So you go from a car that would have a zero firepower to a dash. So it doesn't have any forward-firing uh, pilot-controlled firepower, but it still has turrets, it still has arc firepower, yeah. things like that. So it's just an important rule clarification uh, that uh, that probably most everyone hasn't run into because they're flying fighters. Uh, but as you start flying bombers and less capable fighters, i.e. the Italians, sorry, sorry to all my Italian friends, uh, you're going to hate me when the cards come out. <laughs> but uh, some of those less capable aircraft will have a zero or a dash for that. For they, that they better be decent or I'm not going to paint them. <laughs> Come on, man. We need some, we need some CR forty twos in the air. Is, so. is this where I tell you then don't bother ordering Italian <laughs> No. So, so okay. We'll we'll talk about that in a bit as we talk about. Yeah, we'll get into more because the first thing I'll say is is um is I've had very little input on some of those things. Thankfully, Ken and Andy and a lot of the other guys have done a lot of work for a lot of the air arms that may not be released for a while. So there's some stats out there. But certainly not everyone's favorite airplane, and certainly not some of the airplanes we kind of needed uh, for some of our plans uh, were in there. So, so there's some things you can blame me for. There's some things you can blame others for. Uh, I'm sure be plenty of blame to go around as everyone's favorite Italian aircraft don't have good stats. But <laughs> sorry. Look cool. Yeah, they're, they're going to look cool. Great paint jobs. And I've already seen some awesome ones. I think it'll be good. Yeah. Well, let's talk about why we're doing Malta and how we ended up saying you know, let's go out and create a series of scenarios and some cards to uh, to really build a series of missions around air. So we wanted to to do something to intro players. It's always easy to open up a game, read, you know, scenario zero, scenario five, and kind of push some models around a table. But it's even easier when you have a story, when there's something to interest you in that scenario. It isn't just you grabbing the models you have uh, and, and trying to shoehorn them into a specific scenario, uh, it's all laid out for you. So I've always been a huge fan of, of the Siege of Malta, probably because I visited Malta. I liked the bars. I enjoyed the island. It was a lot of fun. Um, but on the professional military side, it was fascinating to study the Siege of Malta, especially to see an entire island that was a Victoria's Cross, you know. When, when the, they have the Victoria Cross because they have a stiff upper lip and they've endured the siege for so long, it's one of those kind of things that's that's pretty impressive as a as a military occurrence. So I suggested to the other two guys here in Lead Pursuit, hey, if we're going to build a series of scenarios, let's build it around Malta. And I'm sure both of you guys were like, Malta what? <laughs> I was, I, yes. To be honest, I mean, I've been to Malta also, and it it was it was fascinating when you mentioned it because I was like, that was a piece of history. You know, when you go to Malta and you hear great in britain's unsinkable you know aircraft carrier in the mediterranean and in in you realize that even in the the 90s when we were we were visiting there on ships the maltese people are very proud of of the siege of malta so so you know when you open it up i was kind of like that could be pretty damn cool so just because it's it's unique it's it's not a it's not a theater of war that that we think about a whole lot in world war ii yeah and that, that was kind of one of the reasons i chose it brett you were gonna you were gonna say something there I really didn't know anything about it. I mean, when you said that, my first thought was, but what about Western Desert? I mean, I had probably heard of Joaquin Marseille, and, you know, I certainly have seen artwork and imagery of, you know, 109s flying over the desert there, but had no knowledge, really, of uh, what went on in Malta. 
we know Brett was thinking, where's my army ranger? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, and, and for me, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not a huge anchor. Sorry, all of our UK compatriots. But that one battle is one of the few that I look at and go, it, it really is cool for me as someone whose forces did not interact. And there's no US forces in it. It fascinated me. Um, and especially how the air arm, it, the poor Brits, about every time they put some airplanes together, they launch them, they get shot down or they get bombed. You know, it's this, this continual grinder of aircraft being shipped to Malta, flown to Malta, you know, put up in Malta. And then there's either demands in North Africa that half those aircraft have to leave and, and go fight North Africa. And Malta's like, oh, great, we're back to square one again. We have 12 airplanes, um, you know, and, and that whole drama that I thought that, that's going to make some interesting scenarios because it's it's not like d-day or it's not like um some of the the daylight bombing raids where you've got this massive airplanes um there were some large strikes but generally they were kind of one-sided large strikes and brett i know you did a little bit of research about the initial italian strikes i read a lot i i found a lot of information online and i found a couple of books that were really helpful that really kind of outlined the order of battle and everything uh there's a book that's a um it's part of the osprey uh, book collection there's an air campaign called malta 1940 to 1942 the axis air battle for mediterranean supremacy it's written by ryan Noppen, and it's full of uh it's really just kind of a synopsis of the order of battle from 40 to 42 and uh i just found it super interesting and it gets into pretty great detail about um you know, aircraft that uh, aircraft losses and stuff almost on a day-to-day -day basis but it does if you sift through that you really can gain a lot of information about just what happened there and i found it to be probably the single best resource i found so far about uh, what units were there and when they were where they flew from and some of those things some of that level of detail found it really interesting Which is obviously the kind of thing that a modeling freak like you seems to like uh yes. so so what did that do to your desire to did it did it double did it triple how did, how did that all work out yeah it especially for uh ju88s and me1 or uh, bf109s it really did uh, okay i've got to paint this squadron at least some aircraft for this squadron and i need to paint some aircraft for this unit and you know i'm only part way through all that still so i'll be working well, right, right up to adepticon we're taking up a collection to get Brett help. <laughs> <laughs> he needs some serious modeling help. And we're not talking about buying you more models. We're talking about help now. Uh, I, I think you've done a great job. I've looked at uh, some of the stuff you've posted up there on Instagram. Uh, we've put some of it up on the Facebook page. Uh, it, it looks amazing to me. I'm, I'm going to enjoy playing across the table from those. Uh, as you know, at least my uh, Spitfires are going to be a definite... Uh, rainbow of different squadrons uh, just because putting martlets out there putting spitfires out there uh, i want to hit a bunch of different squadrons just because i love the different paint jobs uh, and and i don't have the patience nor the time uh, to do individual squadrons of each and i don't know where i'd put that many little airplanes in my office that's already full of camera gear but uh wh what do we do for decals i mean because holy crap i think only one of the squadrons that warlord has uh by uh by their normal aircraft uh actually participated in malta Man, I'm telling you, Kevin at Miscellaneous Miniatures has made this thing possible. Uh, not only did he already have, you know, some stuff that was relevant already on his site, but uh, I sent him an email saying, hey, is it possible to get this, this, and this? 
and right away he was cranking that stuff out for me. So if you look on his website, even just under uh, new items, you'll see stuff listed for Malta. There's probably four or five sheets of Malta specific stuff on there now. And he does a great job because uh, a lot of these units, um, you know, their color schemes change and the artwork, like their nose art and stuff changed over the years. Well, he includes that on the sheet. So uh, trying to think of a, well, a good example would be, um, uh, I think it's second group STG2. You can get the staff artwork, uh, fourth Stoffel, uh, insignia and all that stuff. Plus I think maybe three different, uh, nose art that they had over the years. So, you know, you, you wouldn't have to just do it for Malta. You, that one sheet would kind of get you through several periods that that unit flew in. Uh, he just does an outstanding job and it was really fast and he's super easy to work with. I tried to give him as much information I could. I supplied him with some, um, some artwork that I had found, but I'm telling you just on his own, he clearly found stuff that I didn't even see and include and included on the sheet that I didn't even ask for. So you couldn't ask for much more than that. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks Kevin for being a hobby enabler. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the good thing is at least a lot of that's also out there for the, because I went out and pulled down a lot. Uh, and I know, uh, Chris, you'd talked about if you get the time between now and Adepticon doing some RF. So I think there's plenty of opportunity. And what oh. I'll say is, is we keep, we keep mentioning Adepticon. So, if people want to build specific Malta squadrons and come out and play some of the scenarios uh, at Adepticon, please do. You know, we're not going to shun you away from the table if you show up with the Battle of Britain squadrons uh, and, and want to play the Malta scenarios. But if, if you guys are as excited about doing something different and trying some new scenarios, um, then please feel free to paint up some aircraft, paint up six of, of whatever squadron, and uh, we'll put a bunch of them on the board together because – as we started working these scenarios, you know, Brett, you were feeding me information. At some point, I looked at you. I'm like, dude, I am not putting 12 JU88s on the table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of these significant engagements had massive, you know, armadas of aircraft. Some of them are, are so massively one-sided that I'm like, awesome! I can go buy some gladiators. I can field four gladiators against this, you know, 70 aircraft wave of Italian aircraft. Uh, no thanks, uh, but. You know, we're going to have an opportunity there at Adepticon that if people want to come out and do some some large mass air battles, uh, it'd be awesome if people had Maltese, you know, campaign squadrons painted up. That would be great. If you don't, don't care. We're going to put airplanes on the table and have a lot of fun. Um, but uh, the the at least for me, when I started working through the scenario information, I, I kind of had to sculpt this. So we've started rolling out some of these scenario formats. Uh, for those that are on the Blood Red Skies ready room, and if you're listening to this podcast and you aren't, you're a loser. You should be on it. Get on Facebook and find it. Because uh, all the cool kids are. Well, at least the cool kids who push little resident metal and plastic airplanes around a table. <laughs> so in that ready room, uh, we've already thrown out our first scenario. It's actually a Korea scenario. Uh, and we'd love some feedback. Um, it is blatantly stolen from an older style of games. Uh, where they used to, you know, use some uh, some counter style cutouts, but the intent is to make something that's a quick and easy visual reference, uh, so that you know exactly what pilot skill you're supposed to put out there. You know exactly what airframes you're supposed to put out there. What are the special rules? What are the rules for advantage? Uh, and just to kind of make an easy one page document that people can print off, make copies of, hand out to their friends, uh, or in our case, uh, print off a bunch of copies to put around the table at Adepticon. Yeah. The, the scenarios have really kind of taken on a little bit of a life of their own because 
when we first started batting this around, there were no Italian cards and there still are no official Italian cards. And so, you know, Brett, you and I talked about it and I said, hey, man, I don't I don't want to write scenarios for for cards where guys have got to you know make something up and kind of figure out a suitable substitute. So we really initially looked at at true German airplanes versus British airplanes. Right. Right. Yeah, and, and and we really we kind of built the initial scenarios to to fit um, what the airstrike scenarios would be and kind of expound upon them. Um, and then, well, you know, things change. Uh, the the word came down that all the Italian products had slid at least six months, if not a year, um, and so there was now a gap. There was a a need for some unofficial cards. So, you know, thankfully. Uh, Andy and Ken uh, both uh, approached us on the Lead Pursuit podcast and said, hey, you guys have done some um, some good cards already for the Korean War stuff, doing, uh, you know, stuff for the uh, the F-82s, stuff for the B-29s. Uh, are you interested in doing Italian cards? So because I'm stupid, I said, yeah, that sounds like an awesome idea. <laughs> You've got all the data, right? So uh, not thinking that through and thinking that the data was going to be the hard part, not the generating the cards. We have a bunch of lead pursuit podcast cards that are going to come out uh, that are the some of them are blessed by Andy. Uh, some of them are from the evil minds of uh, Doug, Brett and Chris. Uh, and how will you know the difference? Well, if it says unofficial card, then it is one that has been blessed by Andy. If it says playtest card, then it's some numbers that Doug thought of as he was really tired and sitting in the airline lounge in Korea on his third Jack and Coke. So <laughs> buyer beware. No, when you download those, take a look at some of those numbers. <laughs> the Hellblau 2 was flying over Southern Malta. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so there are some numbers. Well, and, and here's the problem. So uh, I, I really had a chance to feel Andy's pain as there were some aircraft that were, that at least Brett and I thought were really important to some of the scenarios that they had not statted out. Um, and so I just, I told him, I said, hey, I'm going to do some stats. You guys can like them. You don't have to like them, whatever. You can make fun of me when we release them, but we're going to put some stats in this package. And obviously, Andy's been working on a lot of stuff. In case you didn't notice, uh, his name is one of the three headliners on the Judge Dredd stuff. So uh, he's been a little bit busy um, and trying to get airstrike out. So there's going to be some cards that are that are as far from official as can be, but uh, play with them and tell us what you think. Um, and, and some of the aircraft traits are going to need to evolve as well. We know that. Uh, we know especially using some of these Italian bombers that were uh, dare I say, multi-role bombers. They sometimes did bombing. They sometimes did dive bombing. They sometimes did uh, torpedo bombing. You know, we're we're gonna have to figure out what traits apply where and and how to um, how to make that work out well. So take it with a grain of salt. But hopefully, here in the next week or so, uh, you should see uh, aircraft for the uh, aircraft cards for the Italian aircraft uh, start dropping. That's something I'm so happy you're able to do because. Uh, you know, as I learn more and more about Malta, I mean, I really have gone pretty darn deep into this thing. And, uh, you know, there's there's some really fun things where, you know, well, in the air battle itself, I mean, there were times when it was just the Italians, right? And and, and right. all the times yeah, that absolutely. the Lupoff were involved, the Italians were participating as well. Um, and, and you mentioned before, you know, some of these air battles are, are really large and often one-sided. But uh, with the help of the that's one of the great things about that book I mentioned. The details will call out, like even though it was this, you know, massive uh, complement of uh, Axis planes against maybe a small contingent of, you know, whatever they can get in the air uh, to, to defend Malta. Uh, this um, 
this book has helped you, know, you could pick out portions where it's like, forget about a hundred aircraft in the air. Look at these four planes and what happened. And uh, it maybe makes a, a, something that makes something playable out of a scenario, out of a situation that was certainly one-sided. Right. Well, and I think there's, there's two different things that we're going to try to do with these scenarios. And um, are they going to be perfectly balanced? No, the, the intent is not the intent is to, to really replicate the historical situation. So uh, I'm sorry if you're expecting a, uh, a perfectly balanced scenario. Malta had some very asymmetric battles. But the cool thing is the, the way we've built it is the intent is to introduce parts of airstrike in a historical context. So you're not just opening up to scenario eight and playing through scenario eight. Uh, you're, you're able to say, hey, I want to play a specific part of this action, and it's going to expose me to part of the airstrike rules. And and one of those is going to be kind of mission zero, which is the first Italian unopposed strikes, where you could run it solitaire if you want, or the other player is going to get to play with flak and understand the difference between barrage flak, light flak, how those things all interact. Um, but they're not going to field any airplane. And sure, it's going to be a quick scenario. Sure, the Italians are are probably going to do some damage to the city uh, rather than uh, rather than being totally shot out of the skies. Um, but it's going to at least allow you to, to play through the mechanics so that's a, an easier way to introduce yourself to it rather than uh, throwing everything on the table at once. Getting into things like the Blitz on the Illustrious, I mean, there's there's some potential that people are going to come away really interested in what happened in Malta like I did and, you know, want to know more about it. Well, you know, the, the thing that I've found interesting is while I knew a, a decent amount about the battle, um, the having to go in and build these cards for the Italian, I learned a lot more about Italian aircraft and, and uh, their entire air arm than I knew previously. Now, I will not say that I've learned how to pronounce any of the names. I've not necessarily learned all the weapon systems that were on them <laughs> and why they had, why they really meet up to the stat lines uh, that, uh, that Andy and everyone has given them. Um, but it was fascinating for me to, to go through and, and see a little bit of the evolution of uh, the, the Italian air power coupled with, you know, at the same time, what Germany was doing and, and where the rest of the world's technology was, because it certainly is not the same. And, and I'll tell you, uh, there's a lot of airplanes out there that have the poor quality trait. I'm sorry if you're a fan of the, uh, I'll totally mang mangle the name, the Regia Aeronautica. Uh, if you're a fan of them, I apologize. They're given poor quality for a reason, and we can talk about that as the scenarios come online. Um, but there's still a lot of aircraft that have some some really cool capabilities like Centauros, Arietes, uh, you, you know, you've got Falcos out there, you've got both of the Machis are out there, the 205 and the 200. Um, so I think it'll, it'll give you a, a wide variety. There's a lot of exciting airstrike stuff in there too. I mean, you mentioned that, but it's really going to be a way to showcase airstrike besides, uh, you know, mess around with some of this new stuff with Italians potentially. So, yeah. Well, and something that uh, all the features are there in the baseline scenarios. The confusion for me is there was no easy way to step somebody through uh, deck-launched interceptors, to step them through barrage flak, to step them through uh, torpedo planes and and uh, you know sea burst kind of flak. You know things things like that 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 are really cool things you you probably want to play as what we would have referred to in the military as a partial task trainer. I want to try those things. And not necessarily have to put them in all together in my first battle where I've got ships in a harbor, torpedo planes trying to hit them, level bombers, and fighters all trying to defend it. Because I'm just, I, 
it's the scenario is going to degrade. It's not going to be near as much fun if I try to do everything on the first day out. Yeah, you, I think this provides a lot of opportunity to do a lot of those things in a very stepwise fashion. And if you ever have any questions about that, we can talk offline about where some of that stuff can fit in. Because even if I didn't reflect it on our little planner sheet that we've been working off of, I could probably, you know, you say, hey, we need this. I could say, okay, it goes right here. I, I probably know it to that level of detail where I could fit it in if it's not well, already look, clear. I, on mean, the I mean, let's, let's put it this way. I already broke down by plans. So if we need to have something about ships shooting barrage flak at torpedo planes, you guys can have your precious little Battle of Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right, stupid biplanes. <laughs> I've been trying to trigger Doug over the weeks by every time I find uh, Malta artwork that features biplanes, I, <laughs> I send it to him. I've sent it to a lot. I, I don't want to hear it, jackass. I made cards for bi- for British. Bi- you still haven't <laughs> done my Night Witches cards. No, no, I haven't. Sorry, sorry. All that, all that got pushed to the side as soon as, uh, as the Italian piece came in. No, so we're all about it. I was, I was happy to do that. I know we've also got some aces. We've done some aces. Um, yes, we are. So that would be cool. And um, huge shout out to Ken. So really happy that Ken spent some time talking to Andy and clarifying. Hey can we do some aces for, yeah. for aircraft that haven't been planned to? And what everyone will see, so the little full disclosure here, um, you'll see some kind of ready room aces that everybody kind of agrees on. You'll see some aces that are lead pursuit aces that is just me, Brett, and Chris go, that pilot's really cool. We want to put that pilot in the game. And, and some of them aren't even really true aces by numbers of kills. They're aces by impact to the battle. Um, yep. so, so we'll see some different things out there. And and once again, I'll remind everybody, all the listeners, that these are not the kind of cards you're going to roll to a competitive game with because they're unofficial. They're playtest cards. Um, but they're they're fun things to try. And they kind of save you from doing the math and figuring out how many points should that ace be, what skills should they have. They kind of give you a baseline. And if you want to change them, that's great. Print them out, pen and ink, change them all you want. Uh, bring them to Adepticon, and we can argue about the stats there over some beers. Um, yep. But more importantly, we can we can play a bunch of these games. So hopefully... We'll get these scenarios, these cards, everything out in the month of November uh, so everybody can see it a little bit before Airstrike drops. Everyone will get their pre-orders in December uh, of Airstrike. Everyone can start playing through that. And then by the time we roll into Adeptic, hopefully everybody's kind of comfortable with the cards, the scenarios that if we want to do some big Malta battles down drag out on Friday night, um, that should be really easy. Uh, everyone can play over on those tables. I'll probably be on the mid by myself with all my friends. Uh, but <laughs> while I love Malta, I really want to play some more MIG Alley. But we'll we'll have a lot to offer there at, uh, at Adepticon. And seriously, if you're thinking about going to Adepticon, don't wait. Start shouting out to us on the message board. Start shouting out to us in any forum. Hey, lead pursuit. All three of us are going to be at Adepticon. We're going to be making a big push, hand in hand with the Warlord guys. We've already been told. Whoa, whoa, hand in hand. Whoa, whoa. Well, not hand in hand. You know, you, John you guys Russell. Your Ranger panties can be hand in hand. John <laughs> Russell's not a bad guy to snuggle. I mean, he usually wears a kilt when he's at Adepticon, so you know he's a good guy. But anyway, he said that he, there's there's the word prize support has already been offered. So guys, it's going to be a good time. So please. Let us know that you're interested. Please let us know you're planning to attend. Please let us know what you're interested in doing so we can make sure that we're we're getting everybody represented. We we want everybody to have a good time. So so start communicating with us about it because the the everything at Adepticon with with events like this is about talking about it prior. 
so that it's not, you know, just this one off. Everybody just sees who's going to show up and, you know, then you have a couple of people playing. Whereas, you know, with the events that get a lot of action and have a lot of people have a really good time. People start talking about it months before and they say, hey, I'm definitely showing up. This is what I'm bringing. So let's throw it down. Let's have a good time. So that's one of the things that makes the horse heresy community so much fun. Yeah, and we'll figure out how we're gonna how we're gonna get some of the word out because obviously the ready room, some the sheer number of posts can kick stuff to the yeah, bottom. Exactly. Um, whether we have to start a separate, uh, you know, lead pursuit Adepticon group, who knows? We'll figure it out. Yep. Um, but either way, start letting us know if you'd like to come up and play. We're looking at multiple tables, having some aircraft there already. So if you just show up and go, "Hey, Blood Reds guys is cool. I didn't want to bring into my airplanes because I was playing 40k and hanging out with stinky people." Um, then that's cool too, man. No worries. I, I get it. You love yeah. 40k. Come join us and play uh, with some painted airplanes, and we'll have fun there. Yep, I'm historically challenged. Um, I only brought plastic Thunderhawks. Um... <laughs> Thunderhawks. Special. I've got Marines. You had Actually, to get that. I, I, I'm I'm so happy. I'm really thinking of I'm not going to carry any 30k or 40k stuff to Adepticon this year. It will. It'll be a small case again. <laughs> this is wonderful. I can handle it. All right. Well, that pretty much wraps yeah. up everything we want to talk about for tonight. Uh, Brett, I know you have been knee deep in this Malta campaign scenario creation, whatever we want to call it. Is there anything else you want to throw out to the listeners that they just really need to know uh, before they see this stuff dropping in the coming weeks? Uh, well, I would like to give special shout out to Chris. If folks haven't seen, I think you put out a sneak peek of one of the ace cards that's relevant I for did. Malta. That Luxembourg ace card is looks awesome, and I really appreciate the work you did yeah. on that. I got a little bit more work to do, a little bit of it. I'm trying to do an InDesign. I'm working with some of the, the graphic designers at my college, and they've been giving me a little bit of help trying to figure InDesign out. So I think what we're looking at trying to do is definitely having a template out there. And I don't, you know, we don't even mind sharing with templates. You know, this isn't proprietary stuff. We're just trying to help the community. So we're going to try to get an ace card done for all of the major factions that is kind of generic, meaning you've got the background, you've got the place for the text. You got to figure out how to get the picture and everything else in there. And we're, we're, we're working through those steps, but definitely some ace cards come down the pipe that look pretty darn legit. Yeah, and I'm happy to share the aircraft card template if Facebook will stop giving me the finger every time I try to upload something uh, other than a, uh, a photo. Uh, but I'll put it in the files section. As a, we use, I use PowerPoint for those cards. I know uh, Chris uses Zuckerberg it. can't use anything but a JPEG, so he didn't yeah. want to use his freaking <laughs> his information to share it. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was killing me trying to get the lead to load a PDF. I had to go back to my personal account to put that into... Uh, the ready room so some facebook permission yeah. there didn't didn't want pages to upload documents who knows whatever don't care thanks zuckerberg jackass <laughs> but uh, <laughs> long story short, we'll, the law. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll put all our templates out there please use them uh i, I realized yeah. it took college students to teach chris how to use indesign he couldn't figure out where to put his aol.com email in to exactly log into the program so um, they all laugh at me yeah, for my hotmail address still <laughs> <laughs> i might still have one of those i don't use it though um but uh yeah we'll, we'll put that stuff out there because once again we're all about everybody else in the community creating things and sharing them and if you don't like our stats make your own stats Put your own yep. name on it. Who cares? Let's let's uh, let's have fun playing the game and and just adding to the the overall architecture that Andy and Warlord have built for this game. Yep. Appreciate it, guys. Appreciate the time. No, we're all uh, tightly time constrained. We have lives, families, and jobs we have to get back to. Um, homework. Yeah, and, and, and homework for the sucker in the group here. Um, but 
But once again, I want to encourage everybody to go out, uh, interact with us on Facebook, uh, take a look at the Lead Pursuit podcast page. We try to put some news out there, try to send out some uh, info updates from Warlord or some of the other distributors that are out there. Drop us a line on Instagram. Uh, really easy to find under Lead Pursuit. Take a look at Brett and Chris's models and my lack of models in the last two months. Uh, hopefully some of my stuff will be making it out there. But send us some information. Take a look at our scenarios. Give us some feedback. Uh, we do this not because we want our names on it, because otherwise it would say Doug, Chris, and Brett's scenario. Uh, it says Lead Pursuit because we really want to do this for the community. Uh, we want to get that information out there. So please give us the feedback. We look forward to hearing from you. And thanks for taking the time to listen to the podcast.